please stay tuned after the episode for an important announcement and some housekeeping. Thanks. Bye. You're writing a story. You have your characters. You have your plot. But what about world building? So today, my listening several, I want to talk about one of the most important things about world building. Specifically, one of the most important things about world building in Mass Effect. The Elcor. Yes, that wonderful gray-skinned species who are like big noseless elephants who stand around and don't actually like do much, but they're so important. They're so cool. The Elcor are the most important part of Mass Effect. And honestly, the worst part of Mass Effect 3 was the fact that we, as players, never got to see the battle on their home world. We didn't get to see the living tanks, you guys. That's the worst thing that they did in Mass Effect 3, okay? They deprived us of that amazing, amazing moment. And now it's lost to time forever, and we're all incredibly sad about it, as we rightly should be. So, in case you guys didn't actually play Mass Effect or have forgotten or it's been a while, don't worry. I'll go- I've got you back. I've just a, just a few a few notes to sort of get you on the right track. So, the Elcor are a species from the planet uh, Dakuna. And the planet Dakuna has an incredibly high gravity, which means that the Elcor, who are quadrupeds, um, are built in such a way as to have really sturdy, you know, to be really, really sturdy. And they have strong bones and thick skin. And because their gravity is so heavy, taking a fall is a really dangerous thing. And they actually incorporate it incorporate that into their speech. You go on a mission one time to help out the Elcor ambassador, and he says, Thank you, Shepard. You have saved me from a great fall. Which, you know, you can see the impact of the, of the actual, you know, of the actual reality of their homeworld, making it into the figures of speech that they use, and making it into their culture, and that they've brought that even into an intergalactic setting. Um... And, uh, they also move slowly. That's, that's another thing. They also move very slowly, much more slowly than the other species that we see in Mass Effect, especially, uh, compared to the Salarians. But still, that makes them that much more endearing, because they're very paced, they're very stolid, and they have the coolest way of talking ever. Because for the Elcor, the way they communicate isn't just verbally, but they have subtle body, you know, subtle uh, body language, and also they communicate with pheromones. So they are actually uh, talking to each other, and they're moving a little bit, and they're smelling each other. So it's a three three ways of communicating that uh, that they have, you know, three ways to communicate one sentence. And that triple layer, that triple layered communication means that, that, um, we're missing out on a lot. We're missing out a lot on a lot of Elcor 
uh, communication. So what they've done to aid us in understanding them is to preface their speech with with what they're trying, you know, with the emotion that they're trying to get across. So like, um, sadly, today has not been my day. I have just lost a lot of money while gambling. Resignedly, now I must go home. Sort of thing. It's it's a really interesting invention and a really interesting way to get around that and incorporate that into a setting with a lot of different species, who and where where none of the other species can understand the Elcor the way they understand each other, which I love. The Elcor are the best. Uh, so, really, I've got a couple of questions for for the Mass Effect people. First of all, how do they eat? Because if we're talking about um, having a high high gravity world and having um yawn, hang on, excuse me. Having a high gravity world and having um you know wanting to avoid falls, they don't exactly have a lot of neck. And unlike elephants, they don't have that really cool trunk. They have these kind of flappy uh, I don't know what you'd call them on their faces, but like where the mouth is, they've got kind of like two two flaps that are kind of like a big fat mustache that move around when they're talking. And um, that doesn't look very efficient for eating to me. They do have hands. They do have opposable thumbs on their forelimbs. So they very easily could bring food up to their faces. Uh, it just, it just strikes me as incredibly interesting that a creature that large would have a mouth that small, because when you look at, uh, things like elephants or polar bears or, or giraffes or other large, large animals, their mouths aren't small. I'm going to look at a picture of one really quickly. Well, okay. Yeah, the, the. I, I uh, was mistaken. Their their mouth thing is, is much bigger. It takes up the entire side of their face, but I still don't see where it would open up for you to get the food in. I still don't see it. I really don't. Bioware, how do they eat? How do Elcor eat? How do they get food into their wonderful, beautiful bodies? So that's, that's one of life's great mysteries that I really need solved. And if anybody could help me with that, I would be eternally grateful because the Elcor, the Elcor are incredibly important to me and they're incredibly important to the world. They're just so amazing. Um, second question I have is considering how falls can be fatal. Do Elcor, like, <laughs> what is, what is, what is the deal with Elcor reproduction? Because, you know, if you look at, like, if you look at, um, you know, stuff like walking with dinosaurs and them talking about the sauropods, that's, that's, pr that's pretty intense. And I'm thinking it might be something like that. 
except one of them is sitting down because they're really big and their gravity on their homeworld is really, really intense. So they'd have to be pretty careful with each other so as not to fall or not to hurt each other because that would be bad. You don't, that's, and, and like if you kill your partner, that's not reproductively viable, really. Well, I mean, unless unless you're like mantises and the female kills the male and then eats them to produce energy for her eggs, unless something like that. But you you know what I'm saying? Like you know, the vast majority of reproductive uh, reproductive strategies do not include the death of one of the parents. Just saying. Which means that they would have to, you know, to go back to my original point, they would have to be really careful with each other. And my and the second half of that question, do Elcor give live birth or do they lay eggs? There are advantages to both if the Elcor are sitting down, but you just got you just gotta wonder, like, do they do they give birth or do they lay eggs? Because if they were in eggs, then the thick shell could protect the embryo as it developed. If they were if they were giving live birth, I mean, they could, you know, the Elcor could be laying down. I mean, they don't have fur, but they're bald. But they do they have, do they have leathery skin or do they have scaly skin? I can't remember, and I don't think it says anywhere. But even still, leathery or scaly skin does not necessarily correlate to uh, live birth or egg birth, because... Because, um, you know, echidnas and platypuses, uh, they have fur and they, and they lay eggs and some, some snakes and some lizards give live birth. So it's not always, you know, it's not a one-on-one correlation 100% all the time. So you got to be careful with that when assuming how, when thinking about how Elcor have kids. I bet Elcor children are really, really cute. Just really cute. And then, um, the Elkar live in tightly knit family groups and they tend to be nomadic and travel around. And, um, that's continued to the modern times, even though they have spaceship travels and all that sort of thing. Which is really cool. Because you see, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, you know, space cultures be like, we left everything behind and nothing, none of the old practices are current now. But it's like, no, the Elcor kept, the Elcor keep their traditions and they, and they, um, and they keep wandering around. And I bet that makes them, I bet that, you know, aside from the fact that they don't actually like being encased, I bet that makes them okay for being spacefarers because a lot of place, uh, you know, if, if a lot of people have, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of species tend to be settled instead of nomadic, so they would get homesick all the time, but Elcor are just wandering all around and they're, they wouldn't get homesick because they're meant to be, because, well, not they're meant, but like their culture says that it's cool to wander around and that's what they're, they're used to culturally. Another cool thing about the Elcor, which I find really interesting, is that 
because of their conservative and slow, you know, uh, you know, paced thinking, uh, like he says that they use VIs, you know, virtual intelligence to sort out battle strategies and they'd have to input battle strategies to the computers to help them analyze uh, what decisions should be made next, which is really interesting because y that's kind of the exact opposite of what we, you know, humans would normally assume would be a good idea for uh, for doing battle because we always have this notion of the, the person, you know, a real person at the heart of, of command will always make better choices than a computer. But of course we've seen uh, more and more chess champions being beaten by robots and things like that. Plus, uh, the Elcor don't actually rely on VI generated strategy so much as the, the VI, the computer program, picks up strategies that Elcor have made. So they have, so Elcor tacticians would probably be sitting there analyzing battles and analyzing uh, history books and analyzing previous feeds and going over the strategies of all their foes, of all their allies and understanding the strengths and weaknesses before coming up with these scenarios and, and testing them out and testing them out and refining them and making them better before being able to submit them and put them to, you know, the official uh, strategy book that the VIs pick. Which is actually, I think, not a bad way to do things when you're talking about it because that's actually... Um, one of the ways that uh, battle tactics <laughs> that battle tactics actually get made uh, in in human history is we study what's worked, we study what hasn't, and then we take that and pass it on to the next generation of commanders and people apply those and think you know that's the best way to do it. But I imagine that the Elcor would make that just really efficient because if they're going to do this, they're going to do it, you know, they have to make it really good because they're trusting in machines. And if the machines can't be trusted, then they're going to, you know, lose their entire regiment. So they have to be able to really, really understand and be really sure about this. So they probably spend years and years coming up with just one or two or three different um, different strategies, you know, like there could be whole teams working on one strategy to be able to deal with a certain type of pirate raid or, um, or a certain formation or, or something like that. And have like decades worth of thought going into this one strategy that they, and the ver the many variations you can make of it and programming them into the into the VI to give the their troops the best options that they have on the ground. And because they tend to take a long time to come to decisions, I bet dealing with other uh, races within Mass Effect would actually be difficult for them because they like to take their time because they've learned, like, biologically, if the Elcor rushed around and they took a fall, then they were probably dead. So the Elcor that survived way back when were the Elcor that took their time and observed and were sure before they made their decisions, which is kind of the opposite to how many other humans do that sort of thing, not to mention the other various races uh, within the within the Citadel and, and such, such as... 
such as the Krogans and especially, especially the Salarians. The Salarians are kind of like Doc Brown scientists turned up to 11. They just go ahead and uh, they just go for it and don't look back. And I feel like the Salarians and the Elcor would be natural enemies just because of the way that the Salarians are constantly innovating and constantly coming up with new ideas. And the Elcar want to be sure about them before they go ahead and implement these ideas. Which would make for really interesting, um, which would make for really interesting dynamics. Oh, the, the Elcor haven't gotten, despite the fact that they're, you know, solid, predictable, incredibly strong economy is one of the core ones of the, of the Citadel races, they still have to share an, an, an embassy and they haven't been put on the Citadel, even though they have incredibly strong virtues galactic you know galactic uh citizenry wise and i bet i would bet that there's sort of an animosity between the elcor and the salarians just based on how incredibly different they are and while the El while the elcor uh, are are said to be welcoming of of newbie you know new people and and visitors and stuff I bet I bet they could help I bet they could hold a grudge. I you considering the fact that they might try to for you know they they probably go fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, fool me three times, that's not going to happen because by the third time they've already analyzed the pattern and they're going to say no, I'm not going to do that because they will consider all these angles before jumping to it and if they think that this person is untrustworthy they're not going to do it if they've had bad dealings with this person in the past they're not going to do it and the salarians are probably just the epitome of an untrustworthy person to the elcor because the salarians are just pretty rare to go innovators they 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 live fast die young uh that's literally that's literally the salarians uh, ML because they only live to like 30 but um, the Salarians are, are scientific innovators and they are creating all these new technology and they want to try all this new stuff and they just want to go 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 whereas for uh, the Elcor that's exactly just the opposite of what should be happening that's you're gonna fall you're gonna you know take a huge fall break all your bones die whereas uh, the Salarians see the Elcor as you're moving so slowly that I will literally die before we even try this. So I would bet that there's some animosity between the two, just because, just based on the core philosophies of the way that they live their lives. Just, just because, you know, just based on the biological realities of their home worlds and the, and their uh, inherent species. Because, like I said, Solarians live only to be only thirty, whereas the Elcor, uh, the Elcor weren't aren't really given a sort of standard year but I do bet that since since their life expectancy isn't mentioned it's going to be the same as humans because we tend to gloss over things that we think are obvious so uh like you know you could say oh this lives to this uh you know you know what I mean you know what I'm saying I don't have to explain it we, we tend to gloss over things we think are obvious like if I say I've got a canary I won't have to tell you that it's a yellow canary even though it could be brown 
you know, I'd note if the canary were brown instead of yellow because yellow canary is really obvious. So the Elcor age, you know, the Elcor's life expectancy wasn't mentioned, just like uh, Turian's life expectancy isn't exactly mentioned. Or, mm, I was going to say Corian, but they might be mentioned. But like those, those aren't mentioned. So I'm going to guess that they live somewhat equally to humans. Whereas we get, we know that the Asari, the Krogan, and the Salarians live really long or really short lives compared to humans. So they're obviously going to be mentioned and things are going to be like, oh, how does that work out? Because we're fascinated by difference. So, um, but yeah, to circle back to the Elcor, they probably have a bit of a feud with the Salarians based on how, uh, how different their philosophies are. So if a Salarian scientist came to the Elk, you know, came to the Elkor homeworld and like set up a bunch of really risky experiments and sort maybe flouted some rules or tried to go around certain things and ended up hurting people, the the Elkor probably are like your guys are not to be trusted. You guys are you guys are foolhardy and you rush into everything and you fall on your faces and you're not to be trusted. And the Salarians are like, well, right back at you. You don't consider anything. You don't think about change. You don't think, you know, you're not forward thinking enough. And any any change you get is going to be useful, useless to me because I'll be dead. And see, the thing about that is the Salarians are the ones on the council. So they're the ones with the power. And I'm going to guess that's kind of one of the reasons the Elcor have, still have to share a, an embassy with uh, the Volus. Well, that is the April Fool's episode. I really hope to, that you like it. Yeah. <laughs> that was the April Fool's episode. I really hope you liked it. And next time we will have a normal episode. So we'll go back to just me having something scripted and I won't be ranting at you for 20 minutes. So thanks for listening. Have a nice day and happy, happy April Fool's. Bye.